0: Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Aloya Earle is a physician currently finishing up her residency at the Ohio State University. Starting in July, she'll be subspecializing in sports medicine at the University of Alabama, where she'll work with football, basketball, and gymnastics as a team doctor. Yes she will be working with coach Nick Saban. She graduated from University of South Carolina with a degree in exercise science then went off to Toledo to pursue her MD. She's held research positions at the American Sports Medicine Institute and at Ohio State. The reason she has become a friend of the project is that she's passionate about the immeasurable value sports and exercise bring to people and thinks people can use athletics as a foundation for so many of life's important lessons. She keeps athletes healthy and performing at their best by combining sports medicine, research, strength and conditioning, science, and technology. Since the obvious truth is that no two athletes are the same, Aloya aims to bring comprehensive, individualized treatment plans to her patients. Sports medicine is a too often overlooked component of what we do. Without athletic trainers, for example, this whole platform of education we talk about, sports, that opportunity goes away for some people. Aloya and people like her make sure it does not. I think you can really enjoy some of the research he has been working on. It has the potential to apply to all of us.
1: I feel like so many people in the field of sports medicine, similarly, my story started out as an athlete myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ran track and cross country and I played volleyball, but I was so injury prone like now looking back, I was quite clearly over training and under recovering. That's my current self diagnosing my teenager self. For sure.
0: Where where was this?
1: That was in high school. I um grew up in Michigan. Nice. Yeah, near Toledo, Ohio, but it was in Michigan. Um, so yeah, but back then I had no idea. I was just like, what is happening? Why am I injured all the time? Like I was consistently that kid on the sideline with the crutches, just like always. So naturally I spent a lot of time in the sports medicine doctor's office. Um, and I had the coolest doctor ever. His name was Luke Reagan. Um, he's young, he's still practicing. So he's in Toledo, Ohio, um, But I just felt like he knew everything there was to know about every sports injury. Um, But he was so genuine and down to earth and truly cared about his patients' um, performance goals and their goals for their specific sport. And I was just in awe that what he did was like a possibility for a profession. Um, so when I was 14, I asked him if I could shadow him at work and I followed him around in his office and loved every second of it and decided like that day, this is what I want to do. And it was just this laser focused trajectory that I kind of started on this path to tailor my education and my extracurriculars towards a career in sports medicine, um, and wanting to help other athletes, stay on the field and keep doing what they do and keep doing what they love. Um, so now, where I'm at now, is finishing up my residency at Ohio State. Um, and so I finished in just a couple of months, in two months, and then I'll be going down to University of Alabama to subspecialize further in sports medicine with their um, program down there in Tuscaloosa.
0: Wow, well congratulations, that's exciting. Thank you. It's very exciting. What your, will, will your subspecialty be?
1: So it's primary care sports medicine.
0: Very cool. And tell us a little bit more about your time as an athlete if you don't mind. Like what kind of events did you run, like, yeah, what was your history, your athletic background?
1: Um, So growing up I have three brothers and so I always wanted to like be cool like my brothers and play sports and so I tried like every sport and I just like was not naturally athletic. (laughs) So I settled on um, running, distance running because it's not it doesn't take a whole lot of coordination. Um, but like my fir- so my very first experience as an athlete was a T-ball catcher. Like my my coach <laughs> T-ball made me the catcher. And if you think about that. Like there's nothing to do.
0: Yeah, what do you you, you like pick up the the T if it falls over?
1: Oh yeah, you pick up the ball okay. and you put it back on the T. There it is. And I take it very seriously.
0: I believe you. <laughs>
1: I took it very seriously, but yeah, I was clearly um not not uh very athletic that he put me at that position. um I ended up being a distance runner and loving it so cross country was like my favorite sport and I did the 5k there and then um volleyball was like my fun sport that I would do in the winter season um and then in the fall I would run tracks so I would do the two mile, the mile and the four by eight. And then, um, like my goal was like the pinnacle for me in athletics was to run division one for college. Like that was my all time goal, even though I was always injured and had like a lot of setbacks that way. Um, so I ended up running at the university of South Carolina, but my very first season there I had my career ending injury, which was a stress fracture, in my femur, um, which was my sixth stress fracture. The rest were in my lower legs. This was my first one in my femur and that was kind of the point where I had to decide like that my athletic career was over but I could turn that into like using that as motivation for my actual career.
0: Yeah, six stress fractures that's incredible. was I, that that's just from all the pounding you took from distance running you think or
1: yeah just under under recovering and and training too much.
0: Well I, I mean we we hear about that all the time. The first thing that jumped out to me was, uh, what an incredible metaphor that might be for like someone who's aspiring to be a doctor. Like, um, there's something about the distance runner's mindset that is like just, just you. Like your task is just to keep going and to be resilient and to keep, like you said, to stay laser focused, keep your eyes on the prize, and, and just keep going essentially. Um, but and, and then when you said that, I'm like, wow, what another great metaphor and lesson to learn. Uh, because everyone's life needs a little bit of balance in it. So, could you, um, what do you think the distinction between, if there is one, between overtraining and under recovering might be?
1: So, I, I think, yeah, they do kind of go hand in hand and it's like a little bit integrated. But you can overtrain and still recover well, but get injured because you're just putting too much um, impact on your joints and your muscles. And um, so, like in running, I guess it's a mileage thing. So, if you're running, you know, if you're if you're training for a 5K or 3.1 miles, and you're running like 70 miles a week, you don't really need to be doing that kind of volume. Um, and it can be volume or it can be intensity. So if you're just doing like a lot of speed workouts and just pounding over and over on your on your joints um, through the week to train for a Saturday three mile run, um, you could get injured that way. Under recovering, I think, has so many, is like multifactorial. So you can under recover by under nourishing yourself from a nutrient standpoint, um, a nutrition standpoint, you could under recover from not getting enough sleep. I'm a big believer in athletes needing, especially like teenage and college age athletes needing nine, 10, 11 hours of sleep a night, which is hard to do.
0: Totally.
1: You have to kind of make it a priority and, and schedule it in your day to get that much rest.
0: That, I mean, those are, those are really important, actually, and I, and I, I like that distinction to make sense. Volume or intensity might be, might be too much, um, just doesn't essentially meet the, the necessary demands for adaptation within the sport. That feels like a, a, a good way to look at overtraining, but that underresting thing, you know, we work primarily with high school and college athletes, and the lack of sleep and poor nutrition, I mean, there's no question that that is, that, that, I mean, it's everywhere. It is everywhere. I'm not sure we work with anyone, if I had to guess, that routinely gets nine to 10 hours. Right. Um, I wonder if there. I got a big request of you. Number one, give us a really compelling argument as to like why the sleep thing is so important and then maybe okay. after that, some strategies you use uh, to get it. Okay,
1: so a compelling argument I guess is just data driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been really good studies on sleep that show that it that get consistently getting the, those kind of hours, so eight plus nine plus ten plus hours of sleep decreases your risk for injury, um, lower extremity injury, overall injury, and increases performance a lot of the studies have been done um, in basketball and the studies too will take people who typically sleep, say six to eight hours a night, and then they'll do like an eight, 10 week sleep extension, meaning getting 10 hours a night for that study period. And it'll show improvements in their performance metrics over after they're done with that sleep extension time period. So I think that it's and they don't change anything else about their training or their nutrition or other recovery aspects. Right. So I think just the data supporting I could probably pull up some numbers for you. I know I have these somewhere.
0: I, I think well I and I if you if I'm not mistaken, you're referring to uh, Sherry Ma's study. Yes. Yeah, uh out in California where they did show increase I think it was um, in free throw percentage and shuttle run tests or something like that. Um and I and I and I agree with you, I think some for whatever reason like the injury, I'd like to hear more about how it like um, lowers the risk of injury because I think that's an important one. But I, but the performance enhancement is kind of a different angle, and it's one that I think might be important. Uh, just so you know, feel free to use this if you ever if you ever interact with young people in, um, in, in regard to sleep. But uh, w- we did a study just recently; it has not been published, but but it happened. So <laughs> there's that, uh, where where we tracked high school swimmers over the course of essentially the the taper of their season, like the last couple months, and we compared their times at the beginning of the season in their in their um, best event and their times at the state meter, the sectional meter, whenever they were intended to peak. And if you slept less than six and a half hours, I mean, we didn't have anyone that touched Like nine hours average so uh, if you slept less than six and a half hours you were four times more likely to finish in the bottom half of the team in regard to over like time improvement Um, so I think for whatever that's that's the kind of stuff we're looking for whether it's basketball or swimming um, we have found or we're hoping at least that um, that that will somehow be compelling and get people to bed because it really is an issue you mentioned the injury thing could you uh, tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So I think that what what it really boils down to is that when you're chronically sleep deprived, so you're chronically getting less than eight hours a night, and then training at a high level, uh, it just it wears on your body over time in all your systems. It wears on your immunity, um, but it also gives you slower reaction times um, and it impairs your motor function to some degree. Uh, so I think that just that that cumulative effect of sleep deprivation, and then you're adding on high train workloads of training over the course of a season, especially at the end of the season, um, you see those those injuries start to come up, chronic or overuse injuries and acute injuries.
0: Totally. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's really good stuff. And you, you mentioned, even or especially perhaps at the uh, end of the season, one of the things that we tell, try to tell uh, kids, and adults for that matter, is that like, you, no one is good at not getting sleep. There are people who say, I only need five or six hours. Um, and what we try to tell people is, like, you are not good on five hours of sleep. You might be used to it, uh, but that's, right. that's different than being good. And um, yeah, certainly to avoid injury, if nothing else, that needs to be taken into account. As far as strategy goes then, because like, that is a lot of time, like nine or 10 hours, for a busy person like yourself seems difficult. How like what are some strategies you have to get get to bed and, and make sure that you're getting proper rest?
1: Yeah, I would say easier said than done. Um, for athletes especially I I said th- I think it just needs to be like a blocked out thing in your schedule. Like you just have to decide for yourself that you're gonna make it a priority. And to do that too, you have to understand why you're doing it. Um, and so, educating athletes on these things um, and, and the effects that sleep deprivation can have on their performance. I think young athletes are driven, performance driven versus this might prevent injury.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Saying this might improve your performance. That tends to kind of set that light bulb off more for, for younger patients. But advice that I give not only athletes but all patients is, um, like, turning off electronics. Try to do it, like, an hour before bedtime. It's super hard to do in our generation. It is. <laughs> um, and so if they, if they really think that they can't do that, like, they can't stop playing video games or being on their phone or laptop, like, in bed, I tell um, patients to turn their brightness down on their screen or if they have an iPhone to use the night shift mode to give it that warm hue. Um, that can actually, the bright light will decrease your melatonin about 25%, the melatonin being that your, what you make naturally to regulate your sleep, wake, or circadian rhythm. So if you turn down that brightness or you put that warm hue on it, that can help promote your melatonin to keep working the way that it normally should. Um, and then stop drinking caffeine after about 3 p.m., um, sleep in a, a dark room, and ideal temperature is actually about 65 degrees, which seems pretty cold for a room, um, but that's been proven to be the ideal sleeping temperature in the uh, USA Olympic Training Center in in Colorado Springs. Yep. They've done a big sleep initiative where they have um, blackout curtains, and they have the temperature set to 65 for their athletes so that they're... Um, recovering optimally
0: that's amazing I like it hold on I got to linger on that 65 degree thing because like I've been on the road a lot recently (laughs) and I you have control over the room's temperature and I feel like I'm being ambitious when I go down past 70 so like 68 so I got to go all the way down to 65
1: well 60 to 67 is your range
0: all right I've been at the top end of that range but I will keep dipping
1: I don't know how people would sleep at 60. That seems like it would be- That seems
0: incredibly cold. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever. We'll take, uh, take whatever advice works. I'm gonna try it. It's worth a shot at least. Um, <laughs> on the nutrition side then, you mentioned that was huge in recovery. What um, what makes that so important? And then again, what are some strategies that people could use to improve that?
1: What makes it so important is just that the nutrients, macronutrients, micronutrients are just the building blocks for your body, um, all your systems, but especially your muscle, and you're trying to build lean muscle as an athlete, making sure that you have a good ratio of all of those things. Um, I try to promote a plant based diet, not like um, necessarily having to go vegetarian or vegan, but making sure that the athletes are incorporating a lot of plant based foods. So lots of fresh fruit, vegetables, whole grains. Um, I try to give little education pieces about you want your food to be as close to its natural state as possible. So if you think about Cereal or granola bars or, um, like, real processed foods, they've gone through lots of stages to get to your plate. Totally. Uh, so if you think back, like, what is the the foundational ingredient of cereal is wheat or corn. And so to get from that field to your plate, it's gone through so many different processing Phases versus like you just eat a full like an apple or a potato or things that are literally like straight from their natural state. That's going to give you the best um, nutrient density.
0: Absolutely, it, it's funny that you say that. Feel free to use this, by the way. Uh, we say we have a kind of a tagline. We say see your carbs. Um, like oh, like when you in, when you ingest like carbohydrates because there's, there's been such a an, an adamant and outspoken push against them. Uh, we essentially, you know, the truth usually does lie between two poles, right? Like, like I don't think carbs are the devil. I think that's silly. Um, yeah. We've made massive uh, strides forward in, in, like, the overall human progress once we introduce carbohydrates into the diet more regularly. But I do think that we've hit another pole, which is, like, sugar processed everything to a degree that is that has put our our country into a multi-billion dollar obesity epidemic but I don't want to go down that road necessarily I guess the point is uh yeah carbs are good you do need them for athletic performance and and whatever but um you should be able to see them and then and name what you're eating that's like our usual kind of go-to uh when when we say like you know even we talk about like cereal we're like what we usually ask kids is like what are what are if just by looking at it pretend you know nothing what are lucky charms made of and if you can't tell by looking at it, it's probably not the kind of carb you're trying to put into your body. No, I, but I, but I do. I think that's that. I think that's all really, really good advice, and it's exactly what um, a lot of the athletes that we work with need to be hearing. Uh, your research is awesome, and you are heavily into strength training. I'm looking through like your tweets right now. A lot of this stuff is amazing, and maybe beyond some people. So, could you give us? Um, Maybe, you know, just kind of a basic overview of what you study, what your interests are, um, and some of the projects you're working on now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my biggest current project, and it's been my project for the past three years or so, has been a study that I'm doing at Ohio State on how athletes respond to coming back to play after having had an injury. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, specifically an acute musculoskeletal injury, so not an overuse injury and not a concussion. Um, And so my thought and the reason why I started doing this study was that athletes have um, psychological barriers to optimal performance when they return to play after an injury. So even if they're objectively like 100% cleared from like a strength mobility standpoint, their doctor says you're clear, you're good to go. There's still some lingering barrier that they have, um, kinesiophobia, or just fear of having another injury, or they don't subjectively feel as stable as they as they should. Um, And it affects performance. So Prior research has shown that athletes who come back after an injury, after they've been cleared, have a lower level of performance. And the majority of those athletes cite kinesiophobia or fear of a new injury or re-injury as the reason for it. I'm really excited about the potential of being a physician who can talk with athletes about performance and their goals and try to optimize their performance in different ways. So for this project, um, that was my driving force is how do we address this issue, um, how do we diagnose it, how do we talk to our patients, our athletes about it, and then how do we mitigate that so that when they do go back, they have self-efficacy and they feel the best that they can coming back to their sport. What we found is that by and large, athletes do admit some sort of fear or apprehension um, to coming back after an injury. Um and they feel that it does make them perform less than they did at a lower level than they did before. Um, and they think that even just knowing that that would be a potential um, barrier or a potential challenge when they come back and having that be normalized by their physician or another healthcare provider would have been helpful for them. Um, So just saying to our athletes, hey, this is something that nearly everybody experiences. It's very normal. Uh, And it's okay if you're afraid or if you're perseverating on your knee or if you're you're timid or playing a little bit differently. That'll come and that'll go. And objectively, you're good. Like, your strength is good. Your range of motion is good. Um, And then I asked the athletes in the study what helped them, um, when they were coming back, if they had that kind of fear and a lot of them cited things like mental imagery or just going to practice or watching film and being involved in staying active with, with their teammates and with their coaches. Um, things like biofeedback, especially when they're going through physical therapy, seeing how they're moving and doing functional sport specific rehab that will translate to the field when they go back. So I'm excited to, um I presented it in San Diego last spring um, in like a poster format. So I'm excited to have it actually published hopefully um, in the next six to 12 months and get it out there and hopefully help some people as they come back to their sport.
0: Yeah, I think that's huge. I, I, and it feels so authentic, you having to have done the same thing so many times. Do, like, does that play a factor in, in your current research?
1: My, my own injuries?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Multiple yeah. stress fractures. Yeah. What was it like? How would you would you take that advice? Would you like it? Was visualization key to getting you back on the field, or, or what, what were your strategies as an athlete?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I had a great coach. Um, her name was Lori Mahoney. She was my cross country track coach, and she um, encouraged mental imagery when I was injured. And she told me to kind of like picture yourself going through the race, um, and picture yourself doing it without pain and doing it well. And I think that that was helpful. I was a very non-compliant patient, and that I would always come back too early from my injuries. And so, having gone through that, it helps me have empathy for my patients and know that the last thing they want to do is be sitting out. Right. So if we can really, um, like, take that time and make the most of it while they are out from their sport, and say like doing these things can help you when you do come back, I think that that will. Um, Be something that interests athletes, hopefully.
0: Totally, yeah. For some reason, it just seems especially valuable because there is a um, there's a critique out there sometimes about people in positions like your, you know, like like uh, high powered uh, in the classroom people running research and publishing journal articles and things like that, and their ability to actually apply the things that they're studying. This feels incredibly applicable. I think a lot of people will come back from this. Or, we'll, excuse me, we'll get a lot out of this. And it makes – do, do you know anything about um, Adrian Peterson? Do you follow football very much outside of Ohio State?
1: Um, a little bit, but I'm not quite sure.
0: Alex, you might have to help me with this story. But it, it makes what he did so incredible. <laughs> you want to fill in the gaps here,
2: Coach Nadalna? So Adrian Peterson in 2000 and – I want to say 11. I'll have to fact check that. Uh suffered an ACL tear, which I believe was his second one, or he had suffered one beforehand. Didn't he have one in college? He had one in college yeah. that was kind of like a tough one for him, and coming off of that was one of the best players in the league. Uh, I think he was top three in rushing. He tore his ACL, um, essentially was told, he tore it towards the end of the season, essentially was told that he was gonna miss the beginning of the next season due to the recovery time. He ended up being full go in six months, made the beginning of the season, came within like less than 10 yards of breaking the all-time rushing mm-hmm. record for a yeah. season, was MVP and essentially just blew everybody away with how productive he was uh, coming off of an ACL injury, especially in the time that he did.
0: Which is, which is just amazing uh, when you talk about the, uh, what, well, what's it called, kinesiophobia? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so I, I can only imagine a guy like that at that level, you talk about intensity, there's nothing like that in the world really. Um, 250 pound people flying at you trying to take you down and the confidence or or the mental fortitude it would take to come back from an injury like that um, and do what he did. Would you say um, from your experience what are the injuries that people are most tentative to return from? Is it things like ACL or or what does it look like?
1: ACL far and away Um, but really it's any and I vaguely remember that story. I think I read it a while back and that is incredible. And I think people like him are a great example for other people going through it. Like, look, this guy did this and he's come back stronger than ever. Um, and it's exciting to watch and see his progress, um, as an athlete who has an injury. But I think ACL is probably the biggest one because one is a traumatic mechanism of injury. Like you hear pop in your knee, you're down on the field, you have this excruciating pain, swelling, and then you know that it's probably going to mean surgery if you're an athlete and then it's going to mean a 9,12 plus month recovery a lot of times. So that that one and then you're coming back and, and your ACL is a major stabilizer of your knee. And so if you don't have an ACL, your ACL deficient, or you have a weak ACL, you just feel like your knee is always going to give out. And so to come back to a sport that involves a lot of cutting, jumping, acceleration, deceleration is going to be uh, mentally challenging Yep. Um, and physically, of course. But so that one and then any like acute injury where there was a trauma, like a traumatic mechanism. So like fractures, um, UCL in the elbow, people who have had Tommy John surgery for that, Um, all of those kind of more involved rehabs and more time out, I think, probably makes it harder to come back because it's been so long since you've been in that high-intensity environment. And with that comes, like, physical therapy. I think physical therapy that does sport-specific and even, even, um, like, simulation training, like, where they have... Athletes doing like virtual sim therapy that puts them in like a game setting with like the goggles. Totally, Alabama. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Alabama football is a great example of a program that does that really well. Um, I think those things help with that transition, but there's nothing like the first time you're back on the field, full pads or whatever it is, whatever sport it is.
0: Um well, well I gotta tell you, so like we see so much of what goes into like the development of athletes and, and how invested people are, and it's one of the reasons we love sports as an educational platform so much, um, which makes, which is why we were first attracted to your work. Like, because essentially what you're trying to do in ways, if I'm not misrepresenting you, uh, is essentially preserving the platform for people who have, who have put so much into it and, and probably had high hopes, uh, and you know, that, that experience is, there's the threat that that experience might be taken away from them, You bring them back, Um, so I I think to preserve the opportunity of, of at least as we see it, like this educational platform that could be absolutely life changing, is an incredibly noble cause. So uh, that's why that's why we're pumped to have you.
1: Thank you. Six. I think. I mean. I just think sports and exercise is therapeutic for people in so many ways, and it's the values that you learn from it are. They can translate to everyday life, and so I'm I'm just grateful to be able to help people do what they do and stay on the field or court and doing what they love.
0: No, oh, that's amazing. I love the message; it's a noble one. Um, so, best of luck with it. Before we leave, we have to talk more. Um, our guy, Coach Nadalma, has uh, Coach Nadalma's lightning round. If you're okay. prepared,
2: if you're prepared for it, uh, <laughs> you good, Coach? Yeah, I got All it. All right, we got it. <laughs> Let's do it. Number one. And I don't mean to stir the pot here, but you uh, have worked for two, or you are going to have worked for two absolute powerhouses when it comes to college sports. Can you pick a side?
1: Oh my goodness. You're killing me right from the start. I know. (laughs) Um, I know. I and the coach is like, okay, we have Urban Meyer and Nick Saban, and I admire respect them both so much, and they both are so good at what they do, and even just using their name in the same sentence is quite paradoxical and dichotomous in its own right. But uh, I gotta say, roll tide.
0: Oh, she said it. Oh, man. You have it on
2: tape. Uh, <clears throat> I'm also unhappy about that because I'm a Georgia Bulldogs fan, but we will move on to question <laughs> number two. First concert you ever went to, Spice
0: Girl.
2: And uh,
0: favorite Spice Girl. That
2: feels like an important follow-up.
1: Forty Spice, obviously. Forty. Okay, yeah, yeah, spice.
2: There you go. Agree. Um, what is, what is one habit that you have that you feel makes you more productive?
1: Coffee.
0: <laughs> the coffee. The old coffee <laughs> habit.
2: <laughs> um, who are some other people working in the field who uh, whose work you admire, who we should keep an eye out for? I
1: I've always looked up to James Andrews. Um, I think that he just has such good values beyond like obviously what he does in sports medicine and he works with the world-class athletes and um, has seen and really done it all in, in our field. I think that his that he has like good core values of family and faith and um, he shares those and stays connected to those, so definitely him.
2: He was the one that did Adrian Peterson's uh, ACL surgery. Actually. There you go, full circle.
1: There you go.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, this is the last one I got for you. Uh, what is the best advice you would give a young athlete looking to optimize their performance?
1: To optimize their performance. Um, I think I think, just having an unyielding passion for what you're doing and completely immersing yourself and diving into it and having tunnel vision. Um, just staying connected to why you started and reminding yourself about that a lot because... You can get bogged down and overwhelmed with the day-to-day grind type of things, but if you can, if you consistently, frequently remind yourself why you started and how that connects to your overall purpose and what you're doing, that will hopefully serve you very well. Love it. Thank you.
0: Well, so I was about to ask you what um, advice you would give to an aspiring professional hoping to someday be where you are, but that is pro that. Advice could serve both, I would assume, right?
1: Yeah, I would say that for, I guess, anyone doing what they love, yeah. I like it. Thank you. Um,
0: All right, well, is there anything else that you would want people to know about? Or or where can people find you?
1: Find me? Well, uh, starting this June, I'll be on the Alabama, I'll be with Alabama. So um, I'll be working with their football team and their women's basketball team and their gymnastics teams next year. Um, and then as far as social media, I use Twitter as my platform for work-related posts. So my um, Twitter, what is my Twitter handle? Aloya underscore Earl, my first and last name with an underscore in between.
0: That's right. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, so Twitter's the best way to get get, in, uh, get a hold of you, it sounds yeah, like?
1: The, yep, I try to respond to people if they send messages or comments.
0: Perfect. Uh, well, I hope you don't get too, too swarmed with people trying to come back from injury. Um, <laughs> but if you do, I'm sure, uh, yeah, they will be in good hands. So <laughs> uh, I just wanted to repeat that I, we really are grateful for what you do. We're grateful for the, uh, the fact that you spent time with us tonight and I, and I hope people get a lot out of our conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: We are going to try something a little different today and we're going to ask for feedback from people to see how we like this segment of the podcast. After we record a podcast with a with a guest, we are going to try to reflect on our own experiences as coaches and see if we can call upon a student, a coach, a colleague who reminds us of some of the ideas that we talk about in the episode. Today's episode reminded me of a student that we worked with named Max Rosenthal. Max was a sophomore football player when I first started coaching him, uh, but I'd actually coached him up in the weight room. Before that, I played football with his older cousin Shay. I know his family pretty well; they're great people. Uh, so I was excited to be with him. Max got moved up to varsity as a sophomore, and unfortunately, tore his lateral meniscus um, during a practice. He was out for about six weeks. He ended up—he did end up coming back for the playoffs that year and did an awesome job. But yeah, he said it was kind of a lonely process. He was with who I think is one of the best sports medicine uh, athletic trainers in the game. His name is Dale Dale Grooms. He's the. Head athletic trainer uh, at New Trier, Dale and his staff brought Max back with this idea. It is actually a mindset that Max adopted that was to treat the injury as a minor setback for a major comeback. And really, just kind of reminding himself of that every day. Just like Aloya said, and we, we again, we get into this in the podcast a little bit. He knew Dale gave him the confidence that you know that he was going to be stronger on the back end of this rehab probably than he was going in. To get over the psychological issue that Aloya mentions in in studies, that's what Max did. He just kept reminding himself of that fact and and he sort of doubled down on that idea by recognizing that by the time he did come back, he actually was stronger. He felt stronger and better than he did pre-injury. So he played a couple rounds in the playoffs that year, uh, ended up finishing his sophomore season with the bang, Um, did a really, really nice job for us. Max is now playing fullback at Michigan State. So he's had a couple um, additional bumps and bruises along the way, but I think he's found a pretty pretty solid mindset to get through them. If you know of anyone else or want to share your story, reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter at coach for kindness We'd love to hear from you. Today's episode was brought to you by Hand Armor Chalk, the official chalk of USA Weightlifting. You can find them at Hand Armor Chalk or at Team Hand Armor on Twitter and Instagram. For more on The Good Athlete Project, go to goodathleteproject.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Coach4Kindness. That's Coach for Kindness. And keep an eye out for our next episode.